Well, good morning. Oh, that was great. Let's try that again. Good morning. There we go. Uh, I know that the coffee ran out for a minute. There is coffee there, so if you need to grab it, grab it now. But uh, hopefully that coffee's kicked in. Good morning. Glad to see you guys here. Uh, I was thinking about today, I was thinking about, I used to work in youth ministry. I used to work with kids all the time. And, and you hear some crazy things from kids. And so as we look at a passage of scripture today on prayer, I wanted to share some of the prayers that I've actually heard being prayed. You may find these good. All right, here's one of them. God is great. God is good. Let us thank him for this food. Amen. There we go. That's a fun one. This one was fun. Lord, bless this munch, or excuse me, Lord, bless this bunch as they munch their lunch. I've once said this one, rubber dub dub, thanks for the grub, you know, it's kind of our prayer. Uh, this one was made me laugh. Good bread, good meat, good God, let's eat. Okay. <laughs> now, I grew up, I don't know what you grew up like, I grew up and there's five kids in my family. So this was kind of the prayer that we used to have to pray. We'd say, Father, Son, and Holy Ghost, whoever eats the fastest gets the most. You know, when you've got five kids, it just sees how long it lasts. And this one, this one, uh, this one got a chuckle. It says, Dear God, my tummies are rumbling, so I'll stop this mumbling. Amen. Have you ever, have you ever heard these prayers before? Maybe you're sitting there saying, man, that's my prayer. I, I got the pat in on that. That was me. And, well... You know, the funny thing is, is what is prayer? As we look in the opportunity to come today, and we're going to see a passage that focuses on prayer. What is prayer? What is praying with power? Because I, the way I look at it, I see prayer and power being closely related. And I realize that there may be someone here today who don't exactly know what prayer is. Maybe it confuses you. Maybe you say, I just, I didn't grow up around God or didn't grow up around the church. And I just don't quite get what prayer is about. You know what, if, if this is you today, no worries. I'm glad you're here. Because we don't expect that you have it all figured out to be a part of Restoration Church. We don't expect that you to walk in the doors and say, I know how to pray and I know how to follow God and I know how to do these things. Because Restoration is really a group of imperfect people that are trying to follow a perfect God. So as imperfect people, we've set our mission for each of us is that we would come to know Christ and that we would make Christ known to the world around us. And each of us are in the process of, of coming to know God in a deeper level and trying to share Christ and his love with the world around us. And so if you say, I don't have it all figured out, that's okay. Neither do I. I'm glad you're here. And I'm praying that today's message will give you more of an understanding of what prayer is and how it works. And if you are a regular around here, if you're one of us, I believe that this message speaks to us in a different light. And it becomes a challenge for us to consider whether we are doing Christianity or whether we are being a Christian. There's a difference. And as we embrace the difference, it becomes the power behind us being bold and knowing Christ and making Christ known. So this morning, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. Acts chapter 4, if you I have a Bible, if you would turn to Acts chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible and you need one, we've got an usher in the back. They'd love to come and, and give that to you. Let that be our gift to you. We would love to just put that in your hands and have you take that with you. Uh, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4. 
We're going to conclude the story that we've been learning about the last couple weeks about Peter and John and what happened when God used them to heal this lame man. And so we're going to start out, we're going to read this passage, and then we're going to look and see kind of three foundations of what prayer is. Three things, if you say, man, I don't know what this prayer thing is about. We're going to look at three things from God's Word today that will help us understand that. And then the fourth thing is going to kind of be the main point. It's going to be the power behind prayer. The power behind uh, knowing Christ and making Christ known. So we're in Acts chapter 4, verses 23 through 31. Uh, You can follow along. I think we'll have it on the screen as well. Let's go ahead and read. When they were released, they went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, Why did the Gentiles rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly, in this city, they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats And grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continue to speak the word of God with boldness. It's God's word for us today. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to come together with your people today into your house, uh, that we can come and hear your word, hear your love letter that was written for us so that we could know you. And Lord, I pray as we come in, we have the cares of of life and, and this past week on our hearts, Lord, I pray that you would allow us to focus into your word, that you would give us understanding, that you would draw us to you today, that we would be filled with your spirit and would feel your presence right here, right now, today. Lord, I pray that you give us ears to hear and hearts to listen. And we ask this in your name. Amen. Now, I want to bring you up to speed with where we've been the last couple of weeks because it ties into the story today. Uh, Peter and John, they were heading to the temple two weeks ago, and they came across a man who was in front of the temple, and he had been begging for, for, for years and years, begging for substance, uh, begging for food and for money, because that's how he lived. Um, he had not been able to use his legs since he was born. And he was in front of the beautiful gate asking for alms, and Peter interacts with him. Peter interacts with him. Through the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, this man was miraculously healed. Remember, Peter looked at him and said, in the name of Jesus Christ, get up and walk. And so this man, uh, as he feels strength into his legs again and is able to walk for the first time, the man follows Peter and John into the temple and he's jumping and leaping and he's praising God and he's kind of creating a scene. And the crowd of the temple, they look and see this guy creating the scene and say, we recognize that guy. He's that guy that's been sitting in front of the temple asking for money every week. We know who this guy is. Man, something miraculous has happened. And so there creates a crowd. And, and Peter, being a good pastor, he takes an offering. 
No, we said that last week. No, he didn't take an offering. He said, man, there's people here. I'm going to preach. And so Peter preaches his message about Jesus Christ and his life and his des- resurrection and his death. And, and he directs people to repent and turn back to God. The last week, we learned about when the religious folk heard what was happening with Peter and John, heard that they were preaching about Jesus and preaching about the resurrection. They got all hot and heavy. Uh, so hot and heavy, in fact, that uh, they arrested Peter and John and they put them in jail overnight. Put them in jail and said, we need to do something about this. So the next day they bring Peter and John into court and they're getting ready to say, whose name did you do this miracle in? Whose name was this man healed? And they say, well, it was through the name of Jesus Christ. And they proclaimed boldly in front of the, the court. They said that there is no other name in which we can find peace other than Jesus Christ. There is no other name under heaven given by which men can be saved except Jesus Christ. And the court was astonished at their speech. But they decided since there's crowds of people who were excited about this miracle, who were praising God because this man who is lame has now has strength in his legs, they figured, you know, we can't do anything worse to these guys, to Peter and John. So they threatened Peter and John and they, and they make this statement. They say not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus Christ again. And then they released him. And so this is where our chapter picks up today. This is where our text picks up. Once released, we see in verse 23, that Peter and John, once they got released from jail, the first place they went was back to their friends and reported what had happened. The first thing they do is they go back to the church. They go back to the place that they know they're going to feel loved, they're going to feel cared for, they're going to feel prayed for. They went back to the church. This is a beautiful picture of what the early church looked like. And it's something that we at Restoration, we strongly desire to look like this early church did. When the going gets tough, when the crap is about to hit the fan, I pray that you would know that Restoration Church is a place that you can go for comfort. That you can go because you know there's going to be people here who care about you, who love you, who are going to pray for you, who are going to walk through hard times with you. We are not a perfect church. Restoration Church is not a perfect church. There's no such thing as a perfect church because churches are filled with imperfect people. But I look at this and I say, man, that is our desire, that we would be this type of church that is a safe place who will love people and point them back to Jesus. So Peter and John, they return to the church after spending all night in jail and going to court. And they tell their friends what had happened. They tell their friends, you know, we were just preaching. We created a crowd. And, you know, the religious folks, they got jealous because we created a crowd. And then they got mad because we were teaching about Jesus. And so they threw us in jail and brought us in the court. They brought us in the court and they told us not to preach in the name of Jesus anymore. And they, they tell this to their friends. And I love what the church does. See, the first thing we read they did because they called the leadership team and they said, we have an issue that needs to be added to your next uh, monthly meeting. Add that to our agenda so you can talk about it. And then once the elders and the leadership team talks about it, then we can uh, create a committee that will investigate the legalities of the threat that was imposed on the court by Peter and John. And then after they create the first committee, they're going to create a second committee. A second committee that, will, that was responsible to begin a petition to the courts that would petition the courts to allow Peter and John to preach in the name of Jesus. Isn't that, what, isn't that what we read happened? Isn't that how our churches work? 
something happens and we have all these things that we got, oh, we, you know, we got to have a committee. We got to talk about it and we got to do this and that. And, and, you know, then maybe we can start a petition and we can do all these different things. Maybe we can pick it in front of the court. No, actually, what we read happened. None of that happened. You see, the church's first response, their first thought, in fact, their only thought was to pray. As Peter and John are coming in and saying, man, this is what happened. It wasn't, man, what are we going to do about the courts? It was, no, let's pray. Let's, let's turn to God in prayer. See, in the midst of opposition and danger, they chose to have a prayer service together. And this is so important for us to understand about what prayer is. Point number one for us this morning is prayer is a response to God. Prayer is a response to God. So I don't know what prayer is. This is what prayer is. Look at verse 23. You see, when they came and met with their friends, there must have been some uncertainty about them. Now, they were absolutely grateful for deliverance, for getting out of jail. But those threats must have been in the back of their minds as well. Those threats not to speak or teach in the name of Jesus anymore, you know that was still running through their minds. And sure, they told the Sanhedrin that we're going to obey God and not men. But how many of you have ever said something that you thought was bold, and then the moment after you said it, you thought, what the heck did I just say? Some of you walked in, <laughs> I've never done this, but maybe some of you have done this, where you walk into a classroom and there's a teacher that you just got to say what needs to be said. And then after you say it, you regret saying it. And you say, man, I'm such an idiot. Okay? And so Peter and John, I'm sure they are worrying about the consequences of saying those things. Because fear could so easily paralyze them in an instant. Fear could so easily paralyze them in just a moment. I mean, I think... As they come into the group, they look, one look at their children's faces. And they would want to run away to where it is comfortable and safe. And they would not want to risk speaking about Christ in public anymore because of what was, because of the risk involved. Yet, in response to this fear, in spite of the tremendous obstacles they face, they turn to God in prayer. And they respond to God for his goodness. They respond to God for his goodness. Now, the truth is, sometimes God chooses to rescue his people from danger. Sometimes God does these things like Peter and John, where they're in front of the court against the Sanhedrin who, put, who crucified Jesus. And, and, and through God's providence, they're released and they're spared the danger. But other times, other times God doesn't do that. Other times... God walks with us right through the middle of tough circumstances, right through the muck and the mire and the trouble and, and the difficulty. We see this later, a couple of chapters later in the book of Acts, when Stephen is stoned to death for preaching salvation in Jesus Christ. You see, but regardless of our circumstances, our proper response to God is to be thankful. Our proper response to God is to be thankful. Let me ask you this. What do you have to be thankful about this past week? What do you have to be thankful about this past week? I know, sometimes we have those weeks where it feels like nothing went right and we have nothing to praise God for. But do you realize that nothing on this earth is guaranteed? Nothing on this earth is guaranteed. And if things in this life aren't guaranteed, doesn't that 
doesn't that warrant us to be grateful for what we do have? Think about the fact that you and I woke up this morning. That is something that we can praise God for, for a new day, another opportunity, another day. What about your family and your friends? How many times do we take them for granted? How many times do we take the people that love us and care about us for granted without ever recognizing God? What about the good cup of coffee you had this morning? You thought about praising God for the good cup of coffee? It was good this morning. Kelly and Jack made us good coffee there, man. What about your job? You ever thought about thanking God for your job? You see, we take so many things for granted without ever thinking or recognizing God. So many things in our life, we just go through and expect it. I'll tell you one thing that I found myself praising God for a couple weeks ago was indoor plumbing. I know, you probably haven't thought about indoor plumbing in a while, but I have a three-year-old. And when we, I've got five kids in case you didn't know, and our three oldest boys, they play Little League Baseball. So we're at the baseball field four nights a week. And as we're watching the baseball games, my three-year-old undoubtedly starts doing the potty dance. And you know, gosh, got to go find a bathroom. But the issue is, is depending on which part of the field you're on, there's a porta potty And you try taking a three-year-old into a porta potty where he looks in and sees all of that. And it starts going, this is a small little, you know, you've been in a porta potty And he's freaking out and he's crying and I'm trying to stay away from the hole. And, and it's just... It's just a mess. And you know what? Man, I praise God for indoor plumbing. Praise God that that's not the way that it still is today. See, when we look around in our lives, we find evidences of what's called common grace. Good things that we experience that should result in gratitude in our hearts towards our creator. So the first thing we learn is that prayer is a response to God. And I'm going to lead us on a little bit of a rabbit trail right now. This isn't in our outline, but it's something I want to point out this morning. Do you notice in verse 24 that it says that they lifted their voices together to God? It says they lifted their voices together to God. Do you see the unity of the people here? I've pointed out several times throughout the book of Acts so far, the unity of this early church. Because God's power is displayed through that unity. God's power is displayed. See, our world, it lacks true unity. Think about it. Think about it. Our world lacks true unity. And that's why we continue to talk about unity here at Restoration Church. About being a church that has people from different backgrounds, from different neighborhoods, from different ethnicities. But we are unified through the gospel That each of us, regardless of our past, each one of us was dead in our sins. But God saved us through his son, Jesus Christ. And the gospel becomes our unifying mark. The thing that unites us. And as we commit to God, as we commit to following Christ, as we commit to unity, as we commit to Restoration Church. And we may have different methods and different means, but we choose to be unified under the mission of knowing Christ and making Christ known because there is a power that our world needs to see through that unity that is lacked, that is lacking. So point number two for us this morning, we're going to see that prayer is a recognition of who God is. I find it remarkable as you read through this 
prayer that this church prayed that it takes five verses to tell God of who he is and only two verses to ask God what they want from him. Five verses of, is, of, uh, is of them telling God of who he is. And let me say that God doesn't need to be told who he is. God knows who he is. God doesn't need to be told who he is. But these believers, man, they're the ones that need to be reminded of who God is. And more importantly, in their prayers, they needed to know and believe and confess that God is the kind of God who can and will answer their prayers. And as they're praying and as they're telling God who he is, it's more for them to be reminded of who God is than for God to tell God who he is. See, these believers, their prayer begins by acknowledging God in two ways. They first acknowledge God as as creator. In verse 24, it says, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. See, what they're doing is they're appealing to God as, as the creator, as the creator of everything. They know that if God created everything on the earth, if God created the heavens and the seas and everything in them, then these priests and these judges and the Sanhedrin, they're all God's property. And he can do whatever he wants to do with them. And secondly, they acknowledge God as being in control of humanity. To do this, in verses 24 and 25, they quote out of Psalm chapter 2. In Psalm 2, King David, who, yes, who is the King David from David and Goliath, he is preparing for war with several powerful nations. And in Psalm 2, he described them not as fighting just against him and just against his armies, but really these nations were fighting against God. These nations were fighting against God. And so now, this early church, they're seeing that in Psalm chapter 2, is really pointing to Jesus, where the nations aren't fighting against people. They aren't fighting, but they're fighting against God and against his Messiah. This is what the disciples meant in verses 27 and 28 when they said, For truly in this city they were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and people of the earth, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. See, what they're saying is, is that their rage comes to naught. Their imagination come, becomes empty. Their threats becomes, becomes worth nothing because God rules over the sinful deeds of men and causes them to backfire, to be used for God's purposes. See, the Sanhedrin thought, man, we did something good. We crucified Jesus. Yeah! But they didn't realize they were actually being used in God's plan because God knew that Jesus had to be crucified in order to be resurrected. And so their plans come for nothing. Their plans, their evil deeds, God uses them for his glory and for his plans. They desire to kill Jesus, but that was part of God's plan. So that Jesus would rise and the stone which they rejected would be the cornerstone, which we talked about last week. Excuse me, talked about two weeks ago. So you can imagine this early church finding great comfort in the fact that the God whom they prayed to was the creator of heaven and earth as well as he was sovereign and had control over humanity and over what happened. Because if God is on their side, what could these mere men do? And if we've got God in our side, what's the court going to do to us? What's the Sanhedrin really going to do to Peter and John? Because their focus was on God. The early church saw that this persecution was a war against God and his kingdom, which is futile and foolish. 
Number three for us this morning, we're going to see that prayer is a request of God. Prayer is a request of God. That's, that's all those prayers that we said earlier. Rubber, dub, dub, thanks for the grub. You know, all those things. Again, we look and we've seen that they spent 70% of their prayer praising and acknowledging God for who he is. And now the last 30% of their prayer, we're going to see them make a request of God. As I read this, as I read this prayer, and I read what their request is, if I'm being honest, that's probably not my prayer. If you look at what they prayed, that's probably not what I'm going to be praying for. I mean, if I just had the Sanhedrin tell me not to do this again, and I knew how powerful the Sanhedrin was, man, most of us would be praying for things like, God, protect us. We'd be praying and saying, God, deliver us from persecution. Don't let them do any harm to us. We'd be praying things like, God, give me wisdom and discernment to know whether or not this is really what you want me to do. But that's not what these guys are praying. That's not where they run to. Their request seems rather crazy to me. Their first request in verse 29 is that God would look upon their threats. That God would look upon their threats. When he says God would look upon, he means that God would take note of their threats. You see, when we take notes of the threats around us, when we take note of the circumstances before us, the challenges that we face, when we take note of those things, they begin to occupy our thoughts constantly. They begin to consume us. And all we can think about is these threats and these potentials right in front of us. And they consume our mind. And they distract us from doing what God has called us to do. The more we take note of their threats, the more potential those threats have to stop us from being all that God has called us to be. But as this early church is pointing out, the better way to deal with the anxiety, the better way to deal with these, this weight in front of you is to hand, it, hand those threats over to God. Hand those circumstances, hand those challenges, hand that weight over to God and let him deal with them. Let God take note of them and deal with them because we won't be able to be effective with them on our own. This carries this idea when they say, God, take note of these threats. Carries the idea of what Jesus said in Matthew 11 when he said, Come unto me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Saying, Come unto me, give me your weight. Give me what you're dealing with. I will take it and I will give you rest so you can be who you are called to be. Some of you need to hear this today. Some of you need to make this your prayer. God, I can't be weighed down with this weight. God, take them and deal with them. Today, turn your fears, turn your weight over to God. Let him pick them up and let him deal with them. Because he's much greater and stronger than we are. And when we take these, these, take note of all this pressure in front of us, we can be, become soon consumed with it, and we can no longer be what God's called us to be. We become consumed with what are we going to do about this, and we can't think about what God has called us to do. So listen to this. Let God take note of your, your circumstances. Let God take note of the crap in your life. Let God take note of the weight you are bearing. Let him deal with them.
because he's much greater at doing with them anyways. So after asking God to take note of their threats, they pray and ask for three specific things. Verse 20, uh, verse 29, it says, they pray that they would speak your word with all boldness, that you would stretch out your hand to heal, and that signs and wonders would continue to be performed through his holy name. You see, I love that they prayed for boldness. They asked for boldness. And not just a boldness so they could stand up to the Sanhedrin and accuse them and point out their faults and pick at the Sanhedrin and start a fight with the Sanhedrin. No, they prayed for boldness. They prayed for boldness to continue to make Christ known and continue to share the life-changing gospel of Jesus' life and death and resurrection. That was the boldness that they were praying for. That God would continue to use them to expand his kingdom. And then they asked God to continue to cause signs and wonders to happen. And that God would stretch out his hand to heal people. You see, when you notice these prayers, you notice what they're asking of God. They aren't asking anything for their own personal gain. It's not for their comfort. It's not for their blessing. It's not to make them great. You see, their requests of God was more so that God would be glorified. It all came down to glorifying Jesus Christ, that he would be made great. And this would be so huge for us if we were able to adopt this same idea with prayer. Where if we said, you know, prayer isn't about God, give me this so it makes me feel good. But we say, God, do something in my life that makes you look good. God, do something in my life that gives you the glory. Because if we start praying like that, there is a power to that prayer. Just as the early church saw, it wasn't about them. It wasn't about making Peter and John feel good. It was about Jesus Christ being made known. What if that was our prayer? Imagine the type of power that God would give us because we're making him known, not ourselves. I want to begin to wrap this, uh, this praying with power message up. With the final point, which is kind of the main point for this entire passage that gives us an understanding, an overall understanding of what prayer is. As well as we look and this same point is going to transfer into helping us understand the power that this early church had. That they saw all these amazing things. They saw first first sermon they saw, they saw 3,000 people come to know the Lord, get added to the church. The next time they had 5,000. I mean, we see amazing things from this early church. There was amazing power. This is going to help us to understand where that came from. You see, for the early church, the decision for them to come together following the first persecution, and to come together and pray, it's not all that surprising. It shouldn't surprise us that they came together and said, let's pray. Because as we've looked throughout the book of Acts, we see that the early church and the disciples repeatedly made prayer a priority. In Acts chapter 1, all the believers were united in prayer in the upper room after the ascension of Jesus, just before Pentecost. Later in Acts chapter 1, they were praying before they chose Judas the Iscariot's replacement. Some say that the believers were praying together on the day of Pentecost when the Holy Spirit descended upon them. In Acts chapter 2, 42 to 47, it describes that they met in the temple and from house to house, breaking bread together and praying together. You see, this just scratches the surface. The early church looked for opportunities to be together and pray and, and spend time with God. 
throughout the New Testament, we see this practice of prayer made a priority. Even Jesus, when he was on the earth, we, reg- we regularly read in the Gospels that he would get alone. He would get away from the crowds. And he would pray to the Father. Ultimately, as the early church was spending time with God in prayer, just as Jesus was spending time with his Father in prayer, what they were doing is they were deepening their relationship with God. You see, for the early church, following Christ wasn't necessarily about doing Christianity. It was more about being with God. We see that the early church put an emphasis on being with God. Being with God in his word, being with God in prayer. We see this repeat emphasis. Instead of going and doing about all these different things that they could do, they come back and they just be with God. Praying together, studying together, growing together. It was all about their relationship with God and being with him. And in relation to prayer, it's the same thing. This is our last point, number four this morning. Prayer is about being with God. You see, prayer is how we regain perspective in our relationship with God. It is for us to deepen our relationship with him, for us to be with him. When we pray, it reminds ourselves of our place of humility. It reminds ourselves that God is God and we are not. When we're praying, we're acknowledging that God is God and we are not. When we pray and talk to God, we are submitting ourselves to him and seeing him for who he is. And as we pray and submit ourselves to God, I think what it does is it changes us more than it changes God. You see, when we come and we pray, I think it's more about God changing us than us changing God's mind and changing his opinion. See, I believe that God loves each of us enough that he wants to transform us to be all that he created us to be. But we must cooperate in that transformation. And every time we pray, every time we seek God's face, we cooperate just a little bit more. Because you see, this transfers into the power of the church. Because Christianity is not primarily a system of morality. I don't know what your thought of Christianity is, but it's not primarily a system of morality. It's not a list of rules that we have to follow so we can become good people. And Christianity as well, it's not, a, it's not primarily a form of religion. You see, religion is what we try to do to earn God's favor. That means that we do more good than we do bad. That means that we go to church. That means that we try and be a good person. Those things aren't bad, but those are all focused on doing. Those are all for focused on doing Christianity. But you see, being a Christian, being a follower of Jesus, is based on a personal relationship with God the Father through Jesus Christ's life, death, and resurrection. It, the focus of being a Christian is on being with God, not doing And that's what the early church was doing. They were continually seeing, we we continually see that they were focused on being with God. About spending time with God, about praying to him, about, about fellowshipping with God. Focused on deepening their relationship with him, growing their knowledge of him. And it was during these times of them being with God that we see the Holy Spirit come down in power. 
And that's when we see the miraculous things happen was a result of them being with God. They didn't go about and say, we're just, what are we going to do today? Oh, we're going to go to in front of the Sanhedrin and, and do this. No, they were spending time with God. We look in today and we see that the Holy Spirit came upon them. And it says the building shook because they were filled with the Spirit. And that was a result of them being with God. And that is the key that we've got to understand. These miracles of the early church was a result of their being with God. And as we at Restoration Church, as we're saying to God, God, we want to be used by you. God, we want you to extend boldness and power and signs and wonders and and amazing things right here so that Christ would be made known in the Yakima Valley. That's what our prayer is. That's what our desire is. But I want you to see that this power doesn't come from us doing more. It doesn't come from us doing more. It comes from us being with God. It comes from us, each of us, saying, God, I'm going to be with you. I'm going I'm to deepen my relationship with you. Because that power comes from being with God. Amen? As the worship team comes up right now, we're going to have an opportunity to respond to God's word this morning. Providing the opportunity to respond to God's word is something that we do every week here at Restoration. And today there are three ways that you can respond to God's word this morning. The first, as the worship team comes up, is to sing. You see, the gospel means good news. And good news is something that makes us want to worship, makes us want to sing. So you can respond with us in singing. The second way to respond today is to pray. See, if God is speaking to you, if God is drawing you in today, if he's spoken to your heart, if you're carrying a burden this morning, maybe you're feeling the guilt of sin and you need to repent. Can I encourage you? Call out to God. Pray to him. Don't leave here without getting things settled with God. Myself and a couple other counselors will be up in the front row. If you'd like to have the opportunity to pray with one of us or to talk with one of us, feel free to come forward during the next couple of songs. And we'd love to pray and talk with you. And the third response for us this morning is we're going to observe communion. Jesus instituted the practice of communion on the night he was betrayed. He described the broken bread as representing his body broken on the cross for sin. And the cup, the Jews symbolized a new covenant established between God and his people through the shedding of Jesus' blood and the forgiveness of sins. Therefore, communion is to be observed by Christians, by those who believe in Jesus as your Savior and have trusted in his sacrificial death for the forgiveness of sins. Regarding, compun- regarding communion, Paul gives us some additional instructions in 1 Corinthians. He describes communion as an act of worship, a way in which we remember Jesus and his sacrificial death. That's why we're going to do this today, so we can remember how much Christ gave so that we could be with God. Additionally, Paul instructs us that before participating in communion, we must examine our lives for sin. For words and deeds and thoughts and motives and intentions of our heart that don't line up with what God has for us. And as we examine ourselves, we are to confess any known sin to God before we observe communion. 
communion elements are going to be up on either side of the stage here on these tables. After you've examined your heart and spent some time between just you and God, we invite you to come forward and take the elements. We don't take them as, a, as all together as a group, so take your time. Spend some time responding to God's word today, getting things right between you and God until you're personally ready to come up and observe communion. Let's pray.